and they start this meeting and his first thought is like, well, you know, we're doing a pretty good job. We have this meeting going, we got people sober, they're in the group, it's growing, it's great. Um, we probably should just stay and do what we're doing and leave the meeting and not have any changes. And the group conscience spoke and they they up, they, there was an uprising and um, they were like, thanks, but no thanks. We want some changes in the meeting, we want some changes in the group, and as a result, they held elections. And these older timers, these founders of the meeting, some were re-elected, some were not, and that's the group speaking. That's God speaking through the group. Um, and change happened, and they talk about in the group, you know, some of these, these people, they stayed angry, they stayed in their resentment, and they went out and got drunk, because, you know, they lost their position of authority. And other people, came to see that this is the process. This is how it's supposed to go. There's this rotating movement. You know, um, AA is different every single time you come in. There's new faces. There's new amounts of sobriety. Thank you. And it's never going to look the same. Tonight, we'll look this way, and next week, it's going to look totally different. There's going to be a whole group of new faces, and there's going to be a whole group of faces that aren't here anymore. So it really is this kind of beautiful, evolving thing. And if we were to have these set leaders, well, then it doesn't give room to grow and to be this living, evolving thing, which is really what our sobriety is. And as we go through the work, we grow, we change. And isn't that kind of what we want our programs and our groups to be, this not stagnant kind of idea? Um, because certainly life is not like that. Every day it's going to be something new. We have a new 24 hours tomorrow to do something new, try something out again. So um, that's kind of just an initial basic, my, my reading into this. And then if we read a little bit further into Tradition 2, then we talk about Bill and how he was offered by um, Charlie at the church, excuse me, at the hospital, to basically, he was like, you're doing great work here. We love what you're doing. And this is three years into AA being started. He's like, you're doing great stuff. Come work for me. We're going to have an office. You're going to make some money. You're totally broke. Like, come make money off of this thing. And he gets on the subway. He goes to Brooklyn. He's like, Lois is exhausted. She's working in the department store. She's going to make guys. money. I'm going to do it. That's it. And then he brings it to the meeting. And they say, well, Bill, if, if you're making money off of it, how, how is it just given away? All of a sudden, this is now an organization. This is not the point of the group. And Bill realized that his initial thought on the subway of, ha, this is it. Like, now I'm going to finally get like my dues from being sober and helping all these people. I'm going to make money. That wasn't God speaking to him. It was just him speaking to himself, and you know, as we often do. Um, and really, God was in the voices of his fellows, of telling him, "Bill, you can't do this. You gotta just kind of keep doing what you're doing, and eventually things are all gonna work out." And things are gonna work out. I mean, look at us—we're all here. We're we're sober. We're getting sober. Um, and so that's kind of the beauty of having this kind of idea of rotation and God being in charge. I know, I mean, I can only talk for myself, but I 
charge. Thanks, but no thanks. I mean, definitely when I came in, my first meeting was Thursday, and I had total resentments against the chairs of the meeting because I was like, well, they're the bosses of AA. But then all of a sudden, you know, 11 months later, we had new people, and the new people are, are leading, and you have a totally new experience. So, to take anything away And 
My dad's like a big time lawyer in New York. He was, he's scary, he's still scary. <laughs> <laughs> he's calmed down a lot. And, <laughs> and so, like, like, I was like, it was me and my brother and a couple other stuff, and mom, dad, and they all talking about me. My mom said, Tom, why not you like make some new positive friends, not positive people in your life? I said, hmm? I was so scared, I didn't know what to do. I was like, in tears half of the time. And my dad, who always jumps up, always, um, he started crying. He didn't know what to do. And to see him cry like that, it was like so touched. Something in my heart said, Tom, behave. This, this, do what the man says, do what my father says, and do what everybody around you who loves you care about. And so, um, went back to his house, it was like a sober house, he just do what he says. Um, everything was um, going, is going good, and um, went to meetings, went to outpatient, went to work, went to his house, went to meetings, outpatient. I did that when I first there, and then I got, um, He's like, okay, no, this you. So I got my own house. He trusted me in my own place. And he gave me a silver dog. Oh. <laughs> so it's one of my, like, I loved animals. And later on, like, um, you, you, you hear uh, what I do. And I had a job that I keep on went to. They saw me when I was drunk. It was my father's friend's boss. So I could screw up even worse I did. I thought I was going to get thrown out many times. You know, was, I, I was scared. I came like all messy, all terrible, and all that. And, and they still was like, okay, go or hang uh, over or do this and that. And I was like, okay. But um, now I was there in my, like, um, my first year clean. I was like showing up. I was doing the job, I was a part of something. I went to, um, they had like parties and everything there, um, on holiday parties. I was like, I talked to people to see what I did and I stayed in the now and I was scared to call or leave. And my um, guy I worked with, was, he was like, cool, he was like, okay, we'll, we'll let you, um, I'll watch you like a hawk so you're not drinking. Stick with me, everybody stick with me. And then um, three years down the road, uh, everybody got like outsourced and let go, and they did me a favor. I was first scared when they I left that company. I was there for 15 years, the longest time I ever had anything in my life. And, um, and they did me a favor by letting me go. And I was like, now what? I'm scared. I got a new sponsor, and he's like, all right, what do you, what's your passion, what's your love? So I worked with, I was like, animals, I think? <laughs> and, I like, and I was like, yeah, I love animals. And then, so I wanted that, I worked with somebody here, they watched me under the wings, and then I, I grew, even lizards and stuff, I still walk out, so I was like, okay, I'm a trooper, this is what I love. And then suddenly, Boom, I work at shelters, daycares, and that and that. And now I own my own business. It's, it's, it's a miracle. And like five years later, the business is strong. People trust me. My dad trusts me. Like, 
and uh, our relationship is so sweet. Like my mom, like they, like years ago, wanted to find like a sober vacation for me and meet with people and get out of the city. And and I go on and like every year, like last year was Jamaica and all that. It was pretty cool. And I meet new people, new friends. I got friends here. I got people trust me. I got keys to people's houses. <laughs> <laughs>
Guy goes, well, if you had what I have, you would drink the same way. He says, well, if you don't mind my asking, what do you have? He said, one dollar. Reminds me of my drinking. So uh, I grew up uh, briefly um, in Larchmont, uh, nine kids, which was a normal-sized family probably, uh, eight boys, one girl. Six of us, uh, the boys, ended up getting sober. So we had a lot of alcoholics running around the house. Uh, we had boxing gloves, we had all kinds of weapons. Uh, you know, we had to defend yourself. Uh, so it was kind of fun, uh, it was a lot of fun. I was one of those kids that didn't want to get in trouble because my mother had a uh, canoe paddle to straighten you out. And if that didn't work, she'd say, wait for dad to come home. Dad would take that little skinny black belt and work you, work that pretty good. So I stayed out of trouble. I knew how to keep my head down, you know, be sneaky Pete. And um, we were in parochial school, and I saw what happened in those days to kids in parochial school that just stepped out of line. And I didn't want that. I really didn't want that. So. I, I kept a low profile. Uh, my mother encouraged, there was a quick, I don't know how I thought about this, but most of my older brothers before me went to this one parochial high school, and this guy, uh, the head guy, I don't want to use his name, but my mother loved him, and she told him, you can beat any of the kids anytime. <laughs> you got the green light. And uh, she had him over for dinner a couple of times, and my brothers were like, <laughs> but I, so I went to a different school uh, when it was my turn. So I don't know about, you know, I was in the Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, all that, I love that stuff, you know. And, um, I wasn't really getting into trouble as a kid, but I'll tell you, something happened when I was about 14. I was in a play, and then there was a, you know, the, the cast party, I guess. And I was uh, a big kid. I was probably 4'11 when I was uh, 14. And I was 5'2 when I got my license when I was 16, so I was kind of a midget, but um, after this uh, play, um, there was the party, and before the party, there was somebody got us each a bottle of wine, and the normal thing is to go in behind the bushes and drink your wine. I was a big park drinker, uh, bushes drinker.
I remember like when we were really little, we got like a quarter for allowance, but like a nickel had to go to the church. I'm like, what a rip off. <laughs> <laughs> like candy bars for a nickel. So, uh, anyway, so I was 14, I found drinking, loved it, uh, built a house in my backyard, um, and moved in. I moved into the backyard. Um, <laughs> I built an A-frame, and had like a little porch, and, uh, a little back room for the bed. I ran an extension cord out from the house for my heater, and um, it was party time. Right in the backyard, like 20 feet from the house. But it was my house. And, uh, I had older brothers that realized the advantage of this house in the backyard, and so I would be asked to leave sometime. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? I said, 
I had this thing, you know, um, I don't remember anything when I drank. When I was on the block, I just thought, I don't remember. I said, why, what happened? He said, well, someone stole the stereo out of the campus bar. And, you know, you work there, and your tire tracks were all around. <laughs> so did you steal it? I go, maybe. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
started living in a $90 a month luxury off campus apartment, and I was eating literally rice and potatoes, and so was Flipper. And, uh, so Flipper was like the dog in uh, uh, what, the Grinch? So I'm walking around campus, it was a Monday, it's about a year before I stopped drinking, uh, and I was looking for 10 bucks to get a uh, beer. I remember I was joined, I had to have, it was like the middle of the day, it was a Monday, I remember this, and I couldn't find a, a, my high school ring, I wanted to hop that, and uh, I couldn't find it, and I was walking around with Flipper, and um, this guy I met on campus, he goes, oh, I really like your dog, I just, my dog just passed away, and he goes, don't get ahead of me here. <laughs> so, uh, he goes, I'm gonna buy a new dog, and I go, oh, <laughs> really? And he said, uh, I'll sell you a flipper. He goes, you will? And I go, yes, 10 bucks. And they come over to my apartment, I'll give you the leash, or the bowl, whatever. There wasn't much, Paul. Um, so we made the sale, um, and it sounds sad, but Flipper probably ran to the other guy. <laughs> so I got my $10 case of beer, and I'm sitting on the, uh, this was in 1979. I'm sitting on my stoop drinking my beer. It was so bad, it's the kind of beer where you get a hangover before you're finished. <laughs> This is something backwards here. Uh, and I started crying. I had like a kind of a moment like, there's really something wrong with me, really. You know, I knew there was plenty wrong with me, but that was wrong. And um, that was uh, about six months before uh, I got sober. But a year before um, I got sober, my father had died when I was 16. And he had just gotten into AA, which was good. The only thing I knew about that was the serenity prayer. Um, and then um, my mother had died in 1979. Luckily, when I got fired from the job in Wyoming, I got to come home and see her for a week before she died. So everything kind of happens for a reason. Uh, I got to say goodbye. The last time I took her out of the house, though, I was so hungover, I couldn't move. I was sleeping on the porch, the front porch. And I just kind of looked over. Um, but she never got to see me sober, which is um, kind of sad. Oops. Okay. Um, because she was in Al-Anon, and she was really hoping some of us would get sober. Um, so,
said that. Um, those are called normal drinkers. Um, so I got to a point where um, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I, I don't want to tell another joke, but it is funny. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I didn't know any way out. I was 23 years old, uh, and I, I didn't know there was a way out. I had a kind of a vision, a thought. I don't know what came to me. I think it's the grace of God. Because nobody was telling me to stop drinking. Uh, my parents were gone. I was out in Indiana. Um, nobody, I didn't have a relationship with any woman. And nobody was telling me, hey, Pete, watch your drinking. And that's the way I had set up my life. You know, I don't want anybody to tell me anything. Um, I don't know if anybody can identify with that. Um, so I called um, one of my brothers collect. That was a big thing in the uh, early 80s. Hoping, wondering if they would accept your call. Uh, but my brother accepted the call. I had to go down to a, a payphone down the block. I forget where. But, uh, I said, you know, Chris, uh, nobody ever said this in our family. I have to stop drinking. My thought was, I might live a long time. That was my thought. I wasn't afraid I was gonna die. I literally, in the last year alone, I almost went off two cliffs. The car was hanging off one and this one, and I was, almost fell off a building one night. I would do like stupid things, like to show that I was fearless, you know? Or maybe just stupid things, but uh, I would not have lived that long, I don't think. But in my this moment, I thought, my life's going to be really, really crappy. I see no way out. I didn't know sober people. I knew one thing for sure. I couldn't stop drinking. I wasn't a guy who quit drinking for Lent. I quit drinking until I had money in my pocket. That was it. Or you had money in your pocket. And I can talk you into that. So, um, my brother Chris, when I told him I, I had to stop drinking or wanted to stop drinking, this is a coincidence too, because uh, my best friend Billy, Liam's uncle, uh, Liam is here, and um, second generation sober, like it. Um, actually, third. Uh, Chris, my brother said, you know, it's good that you want to stop drinking. Alcohol, like, that's good that you want to stop drinking. Uh, why don't you, uh, Billy just got sober. Billy had, uh, came in in September, got sober. So he had, this was um, maybe November. He told that from New York, you know, wrote me a letter, he called me. You know, he really, like, this guy used to hang out and drink with all the time. But he, uh, different guy. He was a different guy. This is important for all the people that are new. You don't see the change right away, maybe. And there's a lot of people in their first 90 days. The change is already happening. It's already happening, which is incredible to me. So when someone new comes in, a lot of times the people with 39 years, you don't ring a bell so much with a newcomer. But if you have a couple days more than someone else, you can really, really help these people. Really, the more they say 39, all you guys are thinking this guy's old. What do you want? <laughs> I'm not old. But um, so, okay, thank you. Um, this is Liam also. 
a meeting. Uh, I didn't know if I was an alcoholic or not. I knew I had a bad drinking problem. Uh, I was in Indiana, like I said, and the next youngest person for me was 10 years older. So there's a lot of old people that are like that were like my age, probably now. Um, and but it didn't matter. It didn't matter because for an hour when I was in that meeting. I remember this clear. I wasn't angry. I wasn't thinking about drinking. I really like just sat there, and like there was a beat. There's something in the room. There's something in this room tonight. There's something in every AA meeting I go to. There's a power in the meeting, and um, that's why I love meetings. I've never gone away from AA. I, I've, not, I've never had a relapse. Uh, it's not required, um, and a lot of people do it. They come in, they go out, they get it, and it's harder. The second time. For me, the first time was a total gift. A total gift. People are like, how did you do it so young? I'm like, I don't know. I think the grace of God was there and I was ready. I totally ran out of gas and I was ready to listen to somebody. And that's, I don't, I can't take credit for that. How could I take credit for that? You know, so I see people that come in and they're not quite ready, I guess, or they're constitutionally capable. Okay, that's all right. Come, 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 come back. You know, and um, so anyway, I got sober to make this a, a kind of quick. I went through the steps. I got a sponsor after I got yelled at. Uh, the group is a married group, sort of like this group, maybe. They're not, they give you suggestions, but they're like a hammer on your head. <laughs> <laughs> it was a sponsorship meeting, and I said, oh, I'm going to do it. And, uh, I don't have a sponsor yet. <laughs> so the guy behind me uh, shared. When it was his turn, he goes, anyone who's been in AA for six weeks and doesn't have a sponsor wants to drink. Somebody says, will you do something? I'm like, yeah, of 
course. I set up chairs. I make lousy coffee. Really bad. I'm surprised I haven't gotten better. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I was married uh, the first time to a woman in AA. I uh, had my sponsor's approval. She had her sponsor's approval. Uh, it still didn't work out. I, I had people whispering. My confidants were like, eh. Hey. Thank you. 